What do you think? Should America go back to having a king instead of a president? Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the program, and thanks for joining me. If you are new or haven't yet done so, please follow the channel and turn on that, your notifications so you will be notified when I post the next episode. This week, I wanted to start a conversation off with a summary of a recent R.C. Sproul Legionnaire Ministries podcast that I listened to called Thy Kingdom Come, and it was posted on August 9th of 2020. Clearly, it was an old recording from Sproul as R.C. went home to be with the Lord in 2017, and in the recording, he mentions Princess Diana, <laughs> and she died in 1997. So it may be over 20 years old, but it's timeless. And in this post, R.C. starts with an anecdotal story of his wife watching the annual opening of Parliament in Great Britain. Sproul went on to discuss how all the pomp and pageantry, costumes, and even the lords dressed up with the medieval wigs on, and Sproul questioned, quote, What is it about human nature that likes to create ceremony? That likes to use all kinds of aesthetic devices to draw attention to important and certain events. We do it here for marriage and other special occasions. Why is it that fairy tales that we read to our children abound with stories of monarchs, kings, and princes and princesses, and so on? We are a nation that has rejected monarchy." End quote. Then Sproul goes on to share a story of a friend of his who was British and on his first visit to Philadelphia was brought around to several special sites in the city that reflected American history and special places to Americans in order to bring him up to speed, so to speak. And as he was settling into his new home, he was also brought to Germantown, just outside of Philadelphia, and visited an old antique store that specialized in memorabilia from Americana. And they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had placards and signs dating back to the 18th century and the revolutionary period that displayed the battle cries and slogans of that era, such as, no taxation without representation, or don't tread on me, and so on. But one placard that said, quote, we serve no sovereign here, really stopped this man in his tracks. Because he had left his native land to be a minister of the gospel in America, and he was fearfully thinking, how can I preach the kingdom of God to a people who have built in within their culture this profound aversion to sovereignty. We serve no sovereign here. Sproul goes on and says, we may enjoy the trappings of royalty. There may be a certain nostalgia in our culture where we long in some hidden way for the restoration of monarchy. 
We even try to impose some sort of royalty to our leaders. We remember the days of JFK that were called Camelot. We called Elvis Presley the king. We speak of jazz musicians as the count or as the duke. We still try bringing back the titles of royalty because we recognize that in this freedom that we enjoy in this populist type of culture, something is missing. Perhaps what is missing is that which we need most, desperately, an awakening to authentic sovereignty. Hmm. This was a partial quote, maybe a little bit of paraphrase from that podcast. But I want to do what I want to do is to bring us to the Bible to see of some passages that came to mind based on that podcast. That was it was it was quite a profound introduction to that podcast that really struck me. And it reminded me of a passage in the Old Testament about a guy, young man, old man, prophet, named Samuel. The story comes from 1 Samuel 8, but let me introduce you to Samuel before we get into the passage. Samuel was the son of a woman named Hannah, and Hannah was actually barren. She was unable to have children and prayed regularly to God, beseeching him to bless her with a child, to allow her to conceive and have a child. And in the very beginning of 1 Samuel, it tells the story of Hannah being on the steps of the temple and Eli, the priest, came out and saw her kneeling down on the steps of the temple and kind of lipping or, or whispering in a sense. And he figured her to be drunk. And they had a dialogue. And in the dialogue, she just makes it clear that she's begging God for a blessing here. And Eli sends her away and says, God will bless you. And she believed. And she had promised the Lord that if God would bless her with a son, he would, she would dedicate the boy to the temple, to the service of the temple, after he was weaned. And in time, she did get pregnant and had a son and named him Samuel and did exactly that. After he was weaned, she dedicated him to the temple service and he became Eli's servant. And when he was old... After Eli had died and his sons had died, Samuel was a prophet and had led Israel a long time, even established his own sons, as we'll read here in a moment, as judges. And yet Israel was not happy. And we'll pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It said, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways and turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. 
But this thing displeased Samuel when, he, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so that they are doing to so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the kings who shall reign over them. I want, to, I want that to sink in right now. Just let that sink in. Give us a king like the other nations to rule over us. In essence, we don't want God to rule over us anymore. We want a man to. As I was thinking through this episode, I was reminded of so many passages, but another one from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, where Israel cried out to Moses and God. This was after... They were set free from captivity under Egypt, under Pharaoh. They were slaves, and God sent the ten plagues, and Pharaoh finally cast them out and said, Go, just go. Okay, and then we know about the parting of the Red Sea, and they got past the Red Sea, and then is Egypt chased them, and then God sent the water back over Egypt and killed them all. Okay. But in this particular passage, in Exodus chapter 17, Israel had cried out against Moses and God, and they were very angry that they had been led out of Egypt into the desert, and in their estimation, to die. You brought us out here to die. And God gave them water from a rock. If you remember the story, God told Moses to take his staff and in front of all of Israel, walk over to this rock and strike it, and water would come out. And they say it saved them. God saved them through water from a rock. He also gave them bread from heaven, this bread called manna. And we're going to read some of these verses here. Yet in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers who were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So this is referring now back to those people that were, were led out of captivity by God using Moses, crossed the Red Sea, you know, you know through the parted Red Sea. He's talking about them, and he says, verse 2, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, verse 3, And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. What a very, very, very powerful passage. And one that Paul uses to link the physical rock in the wilderness that Moses struck and the water poured out to Christ. Paul did that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote that letter to, to the Corinthian church. He made that connection. The rock was a type 
of the true rock of our salvation, who is Jesus Christ. Now, what about the water? We see a similar story that Jesus shares with us. John writes it in the Gospel of John, and it's a dialogue between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And we pick up in chapter 4, verse 7 of John. And it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He, he gave us this well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we have a connection to the rock in Exodus 17 with Jesus Christ as the true rock that Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 10. And we have a reference to living water from John 4 that Christ is the one that is, is the giver of living water and that ties to the Exodus 17 water out of the rock. If the rock is Christ and from Christ comes living water and in the Old Testament in Exodus 17, God used the rock and that water to save Israel, we see a clear type. God literally did it in Exodus 17, pointing to the true eternal rock that saves and gives living water found only in Jesus Christ. What a passage. But how is this connecting to our start of this with Solomon or Samuel uh, and, and the nation of Israel rejecting God as their king and wanting another. Well, let's get into that. If we go to Exodus chapter 16, we talked about Exodus 17, but now we're going to read Exodus 16, where earlier than 17, Israel is grumbling first, grumbling again against God. And we pick it up, Exodus 16, starting in verse 2. And it reads, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that, they may that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. 
On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, now listen to this, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what you are, that you, what are we that you grumble against us? Now, interesting. So, clearly God knows everything. God hears them grumble. And they are hungry. So God says, okay, I'm going to rain manna from heaven, bread from heaven. So when you get up, basically, you're going to see bread from heaven. But what does Moses say to them? Moses actually says, when you wake up in the morning and look out, you will see God's glory. He doesn't say you'll see manna. You'll see this thing called manna, this stuff like bread. He says you will see God's glory. Now, maybe he made a mistake. Maybe he meant something else. I don't know. I'm going to try to answer that clearly by taking us again back to the Gospel of John. This time we're going to look at John chapter 6. And this is a passage where we pick up right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with loaves of bread and some fish. So in John chapter 6, verse 22, we pick up on the story and it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had, had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord God had given thanks. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What what must we do to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to them, they said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Such a great passage, people. Gosh, this is so good. However, this next passage in Numbers chapter 21, Old Testament again, where we once again see the nation of Israel grumbling against God. And, and we're going to see something pretty stark, pretty sad in this passage. And I'm hoping this will help us wrap it all together as we kind of come to a close in this episode. So we pick up in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. It says, From Mount Hor, they, Israel, set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water. Now listen. And we loathe this worthless food. Hmm. We continue on in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a, per a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Such a passage. Sad, but also rejoicing. <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain that in just one moment. Sad because they loathe this worthless food. So clearly, when they make the, the complaint, you brought us out here to die because there's no food and no water. Well, the fact is, there was food, manna, and there was water from a rock. But they loathed that food. Now, remember what Moses said when he, when he told them that God was going to bring the manna. He said, when you wake up, you will look out and see God's glory, the glory of the Lord. And we see from John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. So the manna is a type of Christ. And Moses recognizes that and said, when you look out, you'll see God's glory, which is Christ, God's glory. And then here in Numbers, they say, we loathe this worthless food. We loathe manna. 
It's worthless to us. We loathe God. We loathe Jesus. He's worthless to us. You see the connection? You see the connection. God judges them with fiery serpents. Remember the first time we see a serpent in the book of Genesis chapter 3 is when the serpent has a dialogue with Eve. The serpent is the devil. So as a punishment, God sends fiery serpents, literal snakes, to come and bite them. But this is a type that God judges his church, his people, when they disobey, when they reject him. Interesting. Remember John chapter 6, Jesus clearly tells the people, the true manna is Christ himself. Anyone who eats him will live forever. And this eating is to read the Bible, drink in worship of God, praise God, pray to God, depend on God. He is our sustainer. He is our guard. He is our ever-present help in times of need. But is he? Have we rejected him for being our sovereign? Are we rather looking to a human king, a president maybe, to save us, to protect us, to feed us? Or are we trusting fully in the one true God of the universe? God hasn't changed, folks. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And notice in that last passage, when they rejected God, he at once judges them with fiery serpents. Yet they repent and confess their sin to Moses, and Moses prays for them. And God tells Moses, fashion a fiery serpent and put it on the pole. And if anyone in Israel is bitten, they can look at the pole, look at that serpent on the pole, and their sins would be taken away and they would be saved from death. This is amazing that God would make a way to save them. Now, the last passage that I'm going to go through as we close out this episode is taken from John's Gospel once again, John chapter 3. And it's, it contains in it probably one of the most famous New Testament passages, John 3.16. But I'm going to start from verse 1. We need to get the context of the passage. And I want you to pay close attention to what we read. It says, Now there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, interesting, verse 3, Jesus' response and says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and 
You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe, or can you believe, if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now listen to this, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does not, I'm sorry, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Hmm. As I started the episode with a, I started today's episode with a question. Should we go back to having a king in America? I'm going to answer that question with an astounding yes. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Clearly in this passage, verse 14, John 3:14. It says, and, Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Folks, the reason when Moses lifted up the serpent and the people sinned again against God and the serpent bites them, they look up at the serpent, and in essence, the serpent on the pole takes their sin. And in the same way, in the more eternal way, Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin for us on the cross. He was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to make atonement for the sins of the world. Because God loved the world, so he sent his son. So if we look upon him, recognizing our works of righteousness will not get us into heaven. 
but his work of righteousness will. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. I pray for all those hearing this message that God, the God of the universe, would forgive you of your sin as you confess it to him. And as you call upon him to be saved, that you will be born again. To him be the glory. Amen. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others. And join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed.